You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Okay, we are in the book, the letters of First and Second Thessalonians. And uh, again, just to reiterate, as Paul and the other apostles uh, wrote to the churches and ministered to the churches, they did not have seminars on how to be a witness. It was just something that they communicated and not so much a how-to in the sense of do these 5, 10, 15, 20 uh, bullet point type statements and uh, this will help you to be a witness or follow these particular principles and here they are, principles of witnessing. They didn't break it down like that. They simply communicated the priority of the substance of the gospel and the uh, lifestyle of the gospel and emphasized that both are absolutely critical uh, in the witness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we bump into here. So he's talking to the Thessalonians as he writes to them. And uh, you can see in these passages, Paul identifies some characteristics of this local body of believers. And he says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor, your intense labor of faith. Uh, so this, this is another component to their lifestyle. They were living out the message of the gospel in how, what kind of people they should be. And that was evident in the life of the church and in the city of Thessalonica as they interacted with the people of Thessalonica, who once knew them uh, as pagans um, or unconverted Jews, but who now know them as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. And so there, there's a difference. And that difference was not only in the message, that difference was in the lifestyle. And your labor of love. And so they had become, they were embracing the message of the love of God, the love of Christ, and implementing that in their lives. That's lifestyle. And your patience of hope, the expectation that you have uh, concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. I find it fascinating, just by way of observation, that you see these kind of statements, and uh, it's very easy to read over them and, and not give much thought to it, but patience of hope. Uh, patience of hope, the expectation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote to first two Thessalonians in these two letters, in these two letters we find significant uh, discussion, significant exhortation as it pertains to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We go to these letters to pull out significant theological, doctrinal truth regarding the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very important truth. And uh, so as we read Patience of Hope, that means that Paul had thoroughly taught them concerning the return of Christ and how that should impact their lives now. That's what he is referencing when he talks about Patience of Hope, that uh, you, you have a different perspective on your life now. You have a patience about you that is driven by the expectation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't look at the world around you now the same that you did before coming to Christ and before knowing these truths about the return of Christ. Before, you had no hope, you had no clear expectation of what the future would be other than 
you would die other than what the, the norm of life um, expectation, not just in duration, but the, the, the kind of life a person would live in Thessalonica. I mean, it's all they had. But now they are different. Now they have a totally different perspective on how to live life, not only in Thessalonica, but uh, wherever they may go. And it's all driven by the truth concerning the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so that was evident in their life. Again, that is lifestyle. It, it impacted life choices for them on a daily basis. Uh, knowing, beloved uh, brethren, your election by God. Uh, and so the fact that they were chosen by God unto salvation was evident in the transformed life that they were living. The transformed life didn't make them elect, but Paul is saying, I look at your lives and it's evident that God's election of you um, is, is, is there, uh, was there, is there because of a transformed life. But the point is, the gospel impacts our lives. For our gospel, again, he's talking about emphasizing the gospel, did not come to you in word only. It wasn't just a series of concepts that we floated by your understanding that is vitally important. Because faith always engages the mind. Faith always engages the understanding. It never bypasses it. Faith never goes to feeling alone and energizes us on the basis of how we feel about something. Faith always engages the mind, the understanding. And, uh, uh, and Paul says, uh, we didn't come to you in word only. We did come to you in word, obviously. For faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, uh, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you. you. You saw us, you saw our lives, you heard what we said, you heard what we communicated, and you saw us, you saw our lives. Their lifestyle evidenced the transforming work of the gospel. And he says, you saw that. That wasn't accidental. And you became followers of us. And so what he says about the Thessalonians is that you not only embrace the substance of the gospel in the sense of what you understand about the gospel, you embraced the lifestyle of the gospel. You became followers of us. And of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction... And so it, it, there, was, there were struggles, there were difficulties associated with the proclamation of the gospel, uh, and those who embraced it uh, faced those struggles and difficulties uh, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples in all of Macedonia and Achaia <coughs> who believe. And, and so examples, again, emphasizes lifestyle. The gospel was impacting the very way they lived. Because the message of the gospel begins with justification, it continues with sanctification, and culminates in glorification. That's all the gospel. And Paul communicated all of that, and he says, the starting point is justification. Don't get locked into sanctification. Don't get locked into et et uh, the eternal state or eternity until you start at go, which is justification. Let's get... 
this issue of your relationship with God, you're standing before God nailed down. And then we'll move on to the other uh, parts of the message of the gospel, which is sanctification and glorification. That's the message of salvation. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. And so they, they uh, became examples and they became followers of Paul and his ministry team. And he says, and from you the word of God has sounded forth. You, you have taken it to your area. You have done what witnesses do and you, can, and you continue to do it. The word of God is sounding forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out. So when it says your faith toward God, it's, it's not only speaking of the substance of the gospel, the substance of their message is talking about a transformed life. It's evident that uh, God has changed them, that God has transformed them and is transforming them just so that we don't have, don't have a need to say anything. We don't have to go to this area and compliment what you're doing because you're doing it. The word of God is sounding forth and you're out there communicating the message of the gospel where God has you living life. And that's God's design and plan for the church everywhere that it exists, for a body of believers everywhere that it exists. We are a cell of witnesses. And in the city of Louisville, there are multiple cells of witnesses called local churches. And God says to us, take the gospel, sound it forth where you live life. So as we disperse from this local assembly and other local assemblies that are faithful to the gospel, as they disperse, the design, the purpose is that where we live life, we sound forth the message of the gospel. So, Ruth, where do you live life? New Albany, Indiana. All over New Albany, Indiana? Basically, because you drive a bus, right? But, I mean, you get all, but, I mean, as far as interacting with people, where do you live life? New Albany, and, and in particular, Where? But in a, on a, on a, I'm, I'm getting at a practical daily interaction. You don't interact with everybody in New Albany every day. Okay, so that's where you have, and and you go to the bus bar, and I mean you, but you go there, right? Rarely. Rarely. Okay. But you in, you, there's people that you interact with on a fairly regular basis, right? And so that's what I'm getting at. That's, that's, but I don't live life there. Goddard, where do you live life? Cox's Creek. Cox's Creek. And are you a hermit out there? <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> Are there are people out there, right? <laughs> so who, who who do you get to interact with? Occasionally I get to interact with the neighbors. Or okay. I go into town, interact with people in different towns. I think maybe you have a business out there too, right? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so people come in to, to the shop and there's an opportunity to interact. But uh, uh, I've been down to that business once or twice, but I don't live life there. I don't live life in Cotsis Creek. Jeff, where do you live life? Uh, Shepherdsville. Shepherdsville. And uh, who do you get to interact with? I, uh, I go out on sales calls basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's there's people that you know, obviously there's not an opportunity to share the gospel in all of those settings, but there's people that. Yeah. Right. And so there's people that nobody else in this room will ever interact with more than likely, but that's where God has Jeff. And Dave, where do you live life? and so you know there's people there that you get to interact with that probably nobody else in this room does awesome awesome yeah anyway um but i think you also have some online activity too okay Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, uh, we all live life in different settings. And so as we go from here, God had us, has us in a variety of settings. And, you know, as we have opportunity, sound forth the gospel. That's what the Thessalonians did. And that's God's design. So that's why it refers to each local church as the cell of witnesses. Don't think of JWs, <laughs> but legitimate witnesses. And, uh, um, and that's what they did. And, uh, and Paul says, you know, you guys are getting it done. We don't have any need to say anything to anyone because you are out there getting it done. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. And so, again, that's... Paul referencing the fact that it was not only the substance of their message, it was the lifestyle that accompanied that message, the entry we had to you, what kind of people we were, and how you turned to God from idols. And so here's salvation, turning from their gods, their idols, turning to God from their idols to serve the living and true God. That's what the gospel does. It, it turns a person from whatever they're embracing, whether it's an idol, whether it's their own just uh, godless, self-directed way of life, whatever it is that they're embracing, when they turn to God, they turn 
from whatever, substitute idols, sub, substitute whatever that is for the word idols. They turn from that to serve the living and true God. That's the dynamic of the gospel. That's the dynamic of repentance. You turn to God. That's what repentance is. You turn to God, which means that you had to turn away from, in their case, idols. Temple, idols, message of the gospel, understand it, believe it, embrace it, turn and serve the living and true God. No connection to the idols anymore. That's what Paul's talking about. And to, again, what's his phrase? It's in boldness? That's in bold? What does it say? Seems to me like he's talking about eschatology. Huh? This is a new church. You can't get into those kind of doctrines in a new church. They're not ready for it. Especially these people, they've had no exposure to the Bible, to God, to anything, unless some of them are Jewish in background. And here you are talking about what we call eschatology, the return of Christ. You betcha. That's how important it is. That's how important it is. So they're waiting in expectation for Jesus Christ from heaven, living life where God has them as they wait. They didn't put their lives in neutral. They didn't put their lives on hold as they waited for the Lord Jesus Christ. They lived life with more purpose, with more vigor, with more intent than they did before. And they continued to wait for his son from heaven. Because that's what they were taught. Whom he raised from the dead, resurrection, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Yeah. Sure. Can everyone hear, Mark? No. no. So you're going to have to project. I hope everybody can hear me now. I'll keep it on stage. Hold on. Time out. We're going to help you. You got to get it up close to your mouth. The, the uh, air conditioner uh, is uh, not cooperating. It, it seems to me that within at least my circle of evangelicalism that I deal with, and I, I deal with two completely divergent groups of people, and boy, that really is a cardioid mic, isn't it? I, I deal with people who are in this order, Baptistic, Republican, Christian, sometimes family, in, in that hierarchical, hierarchical order. And then I deal with people who are coming out of diverse and other cultures like Hindu and, and those kinds of things from work. So those are my two streams of people that I interact with on a regular basis. Over here on this, on this Midwestern conservative Republican, dyed-in-the-wool conservative Christian group, of, of which I, I am, I mean, I'm not, any, I'm not the other side, it, there's a there's an angst that's there, and it, this is something I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Fox News and being a contributor to that because 
it seems to me that there is a worldwide, or at least a Western worldwide push to have people consume a media, a form of media, whether it be internet, whether it be TV, whether it be radio, whether it be whatever it is, that does nothing but just drive to push the base emotions of anger, of frustration, of, of hate. And while those things are useful and while, while we should be angry at things happening in our country and in our world, and we should do something about it in a legitimate way, vote, those kinds of things, if we're so convicted, there's a, there's a dire lack of hope. Nowhere are we talking about the hope. Oh, and, so and what we have is, is the right hope yeah. of heaven that we're going to win. He's going to win. We've got to have the intellectual knowledge that we are in a world made up of futile-minded, dark-hearted enemies of God who are ignorant, callous, dead in sin, and who actively suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And that's just what the New Testament says about them. Why does it surprise us when they act that way? Thank the Lord that he's given a little bit of grace to keep them from going all the way. There will come a time when that hand of grace is removed. And we call that the tribulation. That's when it gets bad. But the hope we need to have today in our daily lives, we ought to be different. We ought to be drastically different from the people that are out there the, the talking heads in whatever media form they are, whether they're around the cooler, uh, water cooler in the workplace or whether they're on public forums, whatever the case may be, we ought to be drastically different. We ought to be the people that are saying, you know what? Thank God it's not as bad as it's going to be. Thank God that we're going we're gonna to escape that. Thank God that there's a way out of that. Thank God that his son is coming back. Thank God that it's going to get better. It's going to be perfect at the end. And what are you going to be? Where are you going to be, friend, when that happens? What side of the fence are you going to be on? That's the hope we need to have and we need to talk about. Mm -hmm. And the apostles did. Thank you, Kim. We'll just leave that up here so that if we have some other interaction, I can take it to them. Thank you. And so that's, you know, it's a very practical, um, all, all doctrine is practical. And so this, Paul is just emphasizing that uh, they had this expectation that, that uh, framed their lives. It was an important piece of truth that framed their lives and how they understood life in Thessalonica in the first century and how they interacted with people and how they understood the events and the circumstances and the situations that they encountered in life. This great reality of our Lord's return uh, does impact that. And uh, he's, he's revealed, you know, incredible amount of truth to us in the New Testament, um, fleshing out what was uh, initially revealed in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah and the return of the Messiah and the ultimate uh, ends that God has in store for this earth, for his creation. And, uh, and so we have those truths. And uh, they are to frame how we think and how we respond and how we uh, they're, they're, they're frame our emotions. 
uh, as we deal with life in this world. And that was true of Thessalonians. That's lifestyle. That's the impact of the, of the gospel. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Certain things we'll pick out here, but it says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. It was for no purpose. We weren't there just to be another talking head. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. And so boldness was characteristic of their witness and of their life. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And we need to understand this uh, or process this. When he says, even so we speak not as pleasing men, it doesn't mean that we intentionally seek to rub people the wrong way. That is not what that is talking about. But it does mean that that is not our ultimate consideration, is what are men going to think about these truths that I am commissioned, that I am entrusted by God to communicate We speak to please God, to serve Him. But we don't do it in such a way as we intentionally offend or intentionally be belligerent or intentionally say, I don't care what you think, you know, that kind of an attitude. Um, But we, we do so for God who tests our hearts. God knows our hearts. He knows not only what we say, but why we say what we say. And he said, you know that too. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. So obviously that was a typical tactic in the first century. Those who had the ability to use their language uh, and to use it in such a way that it, uh, its intent was, it was all superficial, its intent was to achieve uh, a, a superficial end, an ulterior motive that was selfish. And he says, that's not who we were. We did not use flattering words. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men. We weren't there to get adulation from men. Obviously, that did occur, uh, but they also got the opposite. <laughs> they got condemnation from men too. Uh, but for those who embraced Christ, um, they, they were grateful either from you or from others. For when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, in other words, we could have demanded that you do a variety of things as believers in response to our ministry, but we didn't. But we were what? Gentle. Gentle. That's lifestyle. We are gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children with tenderness, with care. And he says, that's, that's how we were among you. That informs us about lifestyle. That informs us about attitude. So affectionately longing for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our what? Our own lives. We, we imparted to you all, not, not just concepts, but our very persons. We, we invested ourselves in you because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, that our labor and toil 
before laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached to you the gospel of God. They used their tent-making skills to generate income, is what he's saying there, because we did not want to be a burden to you. We chose this. Rather than saying, hey, there's, there's a biblical responsibility for those who are ministered to by the word of God to support those who are bringing to them the word of God. He says, we didn't exercise that. We didn't command that. We chose to be tent makers because we didn't want to be a burden to you. That's lifestyle. Because they wanted to enhance the message of the gospel. You are witnesses, and God also, how we devoutly and justly and blameless, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves. This is lifestyle word, how we behaved ourselves. When we say to one another, um, better behave yourself, we're not, we're not talking primarily about, you know, words, although that that's in there, but it's how you conduct yourself, behave yourself. I say that to my mother-in-law all the time. <laughs> Among whom you believe, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. So the mother scenario and the father comparison uh, and he said, that's how we operated among you. That you would, what, walk worthy of God. Peripateo. Course of life. That the course of your life would be worthy of the God that you have turned to. And that worthiness and that walk is laid out for us in the New Testament. And it was laid out for them by the apostles as they ministered among them. They taught them all these particulars that we read about in the New Testament about lifestyle. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. But concerning brotherly love. And so again, another specific example of how the gospel was transforming them. They had a genuine brotherly love for one another, and it was evident. And he says, we have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. He says, you guys are growing in your love for one another, and it's evident. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, not only in your local church, but you have a love for believers in other regions as well. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Continue to grow in love. That is a debt that is never paid. Owe no man anything except for one thing. What? Romans. Love one another. That is a debt that we, we never get paid. Fully paid back. We just keep investing love toward God and toward others. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life. And to... Hmm kind of has to do with lifestyle, doesn't it? Mind your own business. 
Not in the sense of, mind your own business, buddy. <laughs> uh, but it's like, don't be inserting yourself where God doesn't want you to be inserting yourself. And to work with your own hands. That's lifestyle. All of this is lifestyle. He said, we, we continue to encourage you to, to pursue these characteristics, the quiet life, the mind-your-own-business life, and to work with your own hands life. As we commanded you, that you may, what? Walk properly toward those who are outside. This does with witness. Those on the outside or those who are not saved, are not justified, do not know Christ. And these, this is, these are important components to walking properly toward those who are on the outside so that there's a credibility of witness for Jesus Christ. That's our priority. That supersedes all other priorities that mothers might throw out there in front of us and say, well, this is a priority. You are a citizen of whatever country, and you, this is your chief priority. No, our chief priority is Jesus Christ and the gospel. And if other priorities put pressure on us to be, do, do anything other than leave, lead a quiet life, mind our own business, and work with our hands, and those are competing priorities that are trying to drag us in a wrong direction, and our call is to follow the priorities of lifestyle that we're called to for the sake of our witness toward those who are on the outside. And that you may lack nothing. You do these things and you'll lack nothing. And that's it. That's, that's the, his message to the Thessalonians and uh, some observations about uh, the lifestyle that the gospel transforms us into and... Uh, the impact that that has on our lives. And so as, as witnesses of Jesus Christ, we uh, must grasp the message and live the message. That's what Paul is saying. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the time that we've had together in your word. We thank you for these moments to consider uh, these awesome truths. Lord, help us to embrace them. Lord, help us to go from our gathering here today um, with a renewed purpose of being your witnesses for you have us living life. Uh, and Lord, use us, use us um, to communicate the gospel of Christ, um, to communicate the substance of it, and Father, to communicate it with the transformed life that uh, we're called to in Christ Jesus. And to this end, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.